Amen. Alrighty. This is the last, the last uh, sermon in the book of Psalms. I know it's happy, sad, happy, sad, because let's face it, what an amazing book to have been in for, for many months. And these are songs, and so this is like the last song. And if you know me, you know that in college I was a DJ, right? And so I'd go and DJ weddings and parties and whatever. And then there would come the time of the night where I'd say, it's time for the last song. And usually, if it was a wedding, it was Donna Summer's Last Dance. Do you know that song? I'm tempted to play it for you, but it's disco, so I won't. <laughs> but here's the point. Psalms is a collection of songs. So as they're getting toward the end of the book, they're asking that question, what are the last songs we put in this book? And Israel would sing these. This was like the original hymn book, right? Uh, and so, so we're getting toward the very end. Our, our series is ending, and we're learning about how the book of Psalms um, ends as well. To give you a recap, the theme behind this series has been that we go through seasons of faith. And the book of Psalms is songs for every season. Uh, some are represented the, the truths about God and knowing Him and here's who God is and this is life and, and He's good and the sun is out and things are going the way they should go. But then the winds change and fall comes around and suddenly life's harder than you thought. Suddenly there's some problems on the horizon and, and then comes winter and all hope seems to be lost and nothing good is happening, and it doesn't seem like God even cares. And then finally spring, and the winds change again, and things warm up, and, and then we have a totally new orientation to God because He has taken us through some things. So the whole book of, of Psalms goes through those seasons. There's a song for each one of them. So we're closing out in spring. And this psalm, you can turn to Psalm 147, is, is like a looking back, like, wow, now that we've been through so much, we're singing with a different depth of understanding and appreciation for our God. And the book of Psalms closes out with a five-song burst. It's, it's like a finale. And so these medleys are, are giving voice to everything that we have learned. And so it says in Psalm 147, "'Praise the Lord!' After all we've been through, keep singing. You can write that down. <laughs> that's that's the, the general idea. Worship God. You write that down if you're taking notes. Worship God. Uh, it's one thing to worship God when you're a new believer and you just started following God and there's so much joy in your heart. It's another thing to worship God. You've been at it for several years and you've learned a lot in the Bible. But look, when you've been through a lot and and God took you through it, and you still sing? Now that's special. Worship God. And this psalm gives us reasons why. For it is good to sing praise to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jot this down, number one, because he heals the brokenhearted. Worship him. Why? Because he heals the brokenhearted. This gives us motives because God is the Lord of salvation, the one who delivers, the one who regathers. Sing to him because this is what he does. And when it comes to 
uh, this, this hymn, this is a national hymn. So Israel would sing this together. Imagine the festival, all the nation is gathered together. Its original focus was the whole country's here. Let's sing about how God has healed our land, right? And individually, all the pain that we've experienced as Israelites. You can, the principles that transcend that, our God does that to us too. He heals our hearts and he tends to our wounds. That's our God. But originally, in its original context, this was for Israel. Now, jot this down. He restored Israel. This is the example. He heals the brokenhearted. Example one, he restored Israel. And because it says he gathers the outcasts of Israel in verse two, this is most likely what's called a post-exilic psalm. Now, what does that mean? If you know the story of Israel, it's important to know what order the Bible stories happened in so that you can find out where you're at in Scripture, right? But, you know, Genesis is full of great stories, uh, like Noah, well, that's all the way back in the beginning, right? But then God called Abraham out to a new land, and that land would be where Israel would be born. But not yet. The Israelites got taken captive, right, into Egypt. And so that's where, you know, Moses had to say, let my people go, let them out. Then there was a period of judges like Samson. Then there was a period of kings like David. And, but then God warned him, if you break the covenant, the Ten Commandments, I will kick you out of the land. Well, they did. They blew it. The prophets were like God's prosecuting attorney. So when, when the prophets show up and start saying, you're breaking the covenant, that's like God's legal team. That's what the prophets are for. And then finally, they're gone. The two big deportations happened in 722 B.C., under the Assyrians, the five, and then 586 B.C., the big one under the Babylonians. Seventy years they were gone. That's why stories like Esther, stories like Daniel, happened outside of Israel, because God booted them all out, and they were taken captive. Imagine the national trauma if we all had to spend 70 years in Canada! Or, or North Korea. They were bad. And then we come back. <laughs> Imagine the music we would write. This song captures that. Like they went through that and he gathered them back. Wow. He restored Israel. So here's a picture of Nehemiah when he went and he surveyed the wall. This is a drawing that depicted that. And he saw that Israel was in ruins. And can you imagine seeing our cities in ruins? And then he's like, God, regather us and rebuild us. And here's a picture today of uh, one of the walls that uh, was built in Nehemiah's time. So imagine having to rebuild the walls of your city, right? And, and going through a regathering process. God regathered Israel. Wow. He healed the hurts. You're talking war and famine and wow. He regathered them and healed them. And, and here's another picture because he did it again. In, in AD 70, the Romans came. Jesus warned them about it. And Rome sacked Jerusalem again. Wow, what a city. Look at those walls. Look at the brilliance of that city. And the Roman army showed up, burnt the whole thing to the ground. And, and Israel was destroyed. And imagine the pain and the agony. And then since AD 70, there was no Israel. There was no Israel. And you might be asking, well, what does this have to do with me, this small country in the Middle East? Uh, no Israel equals no Christmas. No Christmas equals no Easter. No Easter equals no heaven. Are you putting all that together? You want to go to heaven? God's got to keep his promises to Israel. Your eternity hangs in the balance in that city. And so it wasn't until 1948 that again God Boom! Israel's a nation again. Nuclear armed. 1948, they're back. Boy, if that 
that alone should convince you that we are in the last days. If God, and here's the point. If God can restore Israel, He can heal whatever is going on in here. Can you imagine what it took to pull that off? The pain they endured, and he regathered, they're singing about it? I can sing about what He's doing to my pain in my heart as well. Sing, because He heals the brokenhearted. He restored Israel, and so jot this down, the general principle is He binds up our wounds. He is a God who binds up our wounds. The, uh, the rebuilder here is one image, one metaphor. He builds up Jerusalem, verse 2. He gathers the outcasts of Israel, and now, now He's a shepherd. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So he's a builder and he's a shepherd. So he binds up our wounds. The nation was scattered, now they're regathered, and now he's, he's healing the wounds of war. Here's a picture of a shepherd, or actually this is what you are, you're a sheep. You and I, we're, we're talked about as sheep. That's us. Not very flattering. Rather be 20 other animals than that. That's us. And so here's what we need. Here's God. He's our shepherd. He leads us. He cares for us when we get hurt. He binds up our wounds. And here's the next picture. And he takes care of us in all the seasons of life. And we give him trouble. And we get hurt. And he, he binds up our wounds. You have wounds too. And God wants to help heal those wounds. Maybe you have wounds from your past because of what you've been through. Maybe you have things that are churning inside of you right now. And soon there will be new wounds on the way. But God is a God who binds up our wounds. Jesus didn't just say, I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords, bend the knee. He said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep, they know my voice. Right? They know my name. And uh, he's going to lead us all the way through the turns and the, the valleys and the mountaintops of this life. Then he will lead our souls safely into eternity. He's the good shepherd. Is he your good shepherd? Is Jesus the only one you're following through this life and on to eternity? We need a shepherd. It's humbling to admit you're a sheep. The first problem he has to bind up in our life is the wound of sin and death. We're all condemned because we've sinned, we've broken God's law, and we're not headed to heaven. God could come down and transform that, but we have to follow the good shepherd. He binds up our wounds, but then throughout this life, even when we're saved, we have things that happen. And he wants, are you inviting God to bring his healing touch to your wounds. And here's the thing, that's not, that's not enough because this is a song. Are you singing about how your God is dealing faithfully and gently with your pain? Has that caused your heart to sing? He binds up our wounds. Sometimes our hurts come from how other people have treated us. Or just our circumstances in life. Or some of the things we've done that have caused us problems. Where is your pain coming from? And have you trusted him? Have you invited him to turn this trial into a song? Lord, I want you to take such good care of me that it brings me to sing. That it brings me to sing. Worship God because he heals the brokenhearted. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Then it goes on to say this in verse 4. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Wow. One minute, 
he's up close and personal, touching our owies. The next minute, we're in space. He determines the number of stars, and he gives to all of them their names. He's naming the stars. Do you see how awesome this psalm is so close and personal, and yet our God is so far-reaching and sovereign? Wow. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. So jot this down. Worship God because he exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud. Worship God because he exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud. The, he's talking about creation to justify why we should be humble in this life. And he says the Lord lifts up those people who are humble, and he casts the wicked down to the ground. Have you seen the greatness of God as displayed in creation? And has that brought you low? Have you fathomed God's greatness and power and knowledge and thought, wow, and has that made you small next to him? Not in a way where you feel like he never sees me. He doesn't, he's too far away. He, no, but, but he is close. He binds up your wounds, but wow, is he immense. Are you captured by the greatness of God? He sustains the humble. Now, the word has a nuance where it means those who have been humbled. So yes, it's appropriate to get on your knees in the morning and pray, right? That's, that's humility, but this means like Israel went through a lot. It's those who have been humbled, meaning you've gone through a lot and you're still praising him, right? You've been humbled in life, and, and, and he's going to lift you up. But then there are those who are proud and haughty and arrogant and godless, and he is going to chop them down. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. Creation is used here as kind of our teacher. Great is the Lord, abundant in power. We see uh, a few things on display. Jot this down. His power is beyond measure. His power is beyond measure. Abundant in power. He determines the number of stars. How many should I make? 800 billion billion or 801 billion billion angels? What do you think? 801 billion billion, done. Let's get to work. That's power. He determined how many blazing infernos in the deep heart of space there are. I want a couple more. Done! And he does it with his vocal cords. Let there be light. He's abundant in power. His power is beyond measure. I started thinking about the sun. You know that I like science, Trek fan. And so you're going to have to sit through it for a minute here because I'm going to geek out. Some of you love it when I geek out. Maybe this sub point is not for you. Here it is. Have you ever wondered how long the sun can shine? It's just up there burning. We take it for granted. How long can the sun shine? Well, Steve Dutch, a professor uh, at the University of Wisconsin math department, says he did the math. And he says that in order to stay shining brightly, our sun converts, get this, four million tons of matter into energy every second. Four million tons. Four million tons. Four million tons. Well, when is it going to run out of fuel? He says, don't worry. We have at least five billion years. Whew. How much does it take to power our sun? Four million tons of matter a second. God filled the tank. 
He's abundant in power. Do you know, I ask this question, if you add up all the power humans consume on earth in a whole year, do you know that the sun provides that to earth in .00001 seconds? All the power we need in a year, the sun gives that to us in a fraction of a second. That's power. Take that, ComEd. Where's that technology? God designed it. Do you see how creation shows us the incredible power that our God has? And our sun, average. It's not even big. Wow. His, that should humble us. He exalts the humble. He humbles the proud. We're supposed to see that it's God's power that sustains life and upholds you every second, every fraction of a second. When, when, when your strength runs out, and it will, God will meet you at the end uh, with enough power to create a whole other universe. That should comfort you. That should humble you. He exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud. So his power is beyond measure, but jot this down, his wisdom is beyond measure too. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. How much does God know? It's beyond measure. You can never even know how much God knows because his wisdom is beyond measure. He didn't just create the stars and put them up there, right, like some big pinball machine, but he didn't have the smarts to figure out how to engineer the whole thing. It actually keeps working, and that shows his wisdom, not just his power. He gave every star a name. That's pretty amazing. Do you, know, do you know for Valentine's Day, you can go onto a website, you can actually get a star named after that special someone in your life. I don't know what her name is, but you can name a star after her, and then you can give her a little certificate that says, honey, I got a star named after you up in the sky. Wow, how adorable is that? Now, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but the star already has a name because God named it already. I named it Bessie. Well, you named it wrong. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out the star already had a name, because God named them all. That's pretty amazing. He named them all. His wisdom is beyond comprehension. What he knows is a reassuring reality to us. Last week, we focused on how God knows everything about us. Your past. Uh-oh. Your present, really, and your future. He knows it all. That should lead your heart to sing. Because his wisdom is beyond measure. He loves us, even though he knows us. This isn't just, wow, what a brain God has. One writer said this, God is more than equal to the problems of his people, based on this wisdom. He's got your problems. They, they don't catch him off guard. Whenever you pray, he's not like, I'm going to have to think on that one for a little while. Let me get back to you. This humbles us in a way that makes us trust God and love him more. So let me ask you this. How is God humbling you right now? How is he humbling you right now? Creation always does it. You take a walk out there, watch a nice sunset, and they'll humble you and show you there's a big God. He's awesome and brilliant. But there are other ways that he humbles you as well. So how is he doing it? What is he using in your life to show you you're small, he's big? You need him desperately. What, what is he using to humble you? Who? Don't point. Who is he using to bring you low? 
to keep you off balance. I can't figure this out. My power has come to an end. My wisdom is running out. You're, you're being humbled. You're being humbled. Often, if, see, if I were to just flat out ask you, do you want to become more like Jesus? Yes. All right. Give me the list of ways that you want God to humble you. Um, I don't want to make that list. <laughs> see, but we have to be humble, right? We have to be humble because he was humble. He was a humble servant. God allowed his son to go through the full experience of life, all the pain, the uncertainty, the suffering, the rejection, right? So when you're being humbled, remember, this is the point. Like, God is showing me his size through this. The size of my problem really isn't the problem, because God's bigger. And he's making you more like Christ. He exalts the humble, and maybe he's revealing your pride to you your sense of entitlement, what you thought you deserved, how much you thought you could figure out, you were smart enough to try and get your future planned, and then like Jenga, it just falls over. Maybe, maybe you actually had too high of a view of yourself, and God's trying to save you from the perils of pride. And there you are, down on your face in the carpet, right where you belong. We're sheep, we're dust, right? You're, you're dust, and then God did this. And then you lived. That's who we are. And then we realize that if we're humble, God will exalt us. That's the path up. You got to get on that down escalator and somehow you're getting higher. How that works is up to God. His wisdom is beyond measure. He will humble you. And when he does, will you sing? Will it lead your heart to sing? Worship God, number one, because he heals the broken heart. And number two, because he exalts the humble and humbles the proud. Number three, jot this down. He cares for all creation. He cares for all creation. So he touched upon briefly, the song did, a little bit about the stars. Now we're going all in on creation in verse 7. It says in verse 7, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food. And to the young ravens that cry, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, for those who hope in his steadfast love. Sing to the Lord, why? Because he cares for all creation. He covers the world in clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. You've got the water cycle here and weather. He makes grass grow on the hills. He's pointing to what God does in creation and what we see in creation is meant to give us a sense of trust. Now, when you look at creation, you might feel like things are out of control. The earthquakes and the tornadoes and the hurricane. No one's in control of this vessel. F.W. Borum is a wonderful writer. He writes essays. He thought about that for a while. He thought about, is this world really out of control? And are we just subject to uh, chance? And I love what he wrote. He called it, it's a famous essay, it's called the Waiting for the Tide. And he said, the tide is the natural representative of those stable and reliable forces that dominate life at every turn. The tide stands for the stately dependabilities by which we are encompassed and surrounded. The masterly mechanism of the universe, the rising and setting of the sun, the persistence in their orbits of the stars, the paths of the planets, the phases of the moon, the revolution of the earth, the cycle of the seasons, the round of the year, all this, like the ebbing and the flowing of the tide, is wonderfully 
reliable. The astronomers tell us a comet that was last seen shortly after midnight on March 3, 1603, will again make its appearance at 9.30 p.m. on September 17, 1962. We know for certain that on that day, the dazzling phenomenon will again adorn the evening sky. Then he concludes, we are not the children of chance. Life is controlled by a superb combination of certainties. Creation shows us that. The way God controls and governs creation shows us that he's got it. He cares for all creation. We see his love, his power, and his wisdom all around us in nature. Jot this down, rain and food come from him. Rain and food come from him. So it says, uh, when it comes to what he actually does in verse 8, he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. Wow. So I, we've, we've, as you know, moved and we got a yard. We got a lot, of, a lot of space in the yard, which is really exciting, but a whole part of it was just dead when we moved in, so I had to plant grass. So check it out. Here's the before picture. It was just a big wide-angle lens here. There was just no grass there. It was all just weeds. And so I cleared it all out, rototilled it, and then put the seed down, watered it, and check it out. We're getting there. It's uh, coming up. And God makes the grass grow. So because God engineered the water cycle and the weather and the reliability of it all, and he did it with his voice, he spoke, God gets the credit for that. Well, I bought the seed and I turned the sprinkler on. Doesn't matter. He gave the water. He gave the light. God did that. When you find God's sovereign care for you uh, in in the reality of every blade of grass when you walk outside in the morning, then you start to say to yourself, what, what hasn't he done for me? Instead of saying, what has he done for me lately? You see that? There's this perspective when we have a real understanding of creation and his love for us where we, we don't walk out of the house like, well, I wonder if he's going to show up today. He's given us everything. Every blade of grass. Rain, and, rain comes from him. Food comes from him too. Raise your hand if you like food. Nudge your neighbor if they're asleep. Their hands should have gone up. God does food. He makes the grass grow. And in verse 9, he gives to the beasts their food. That's all the, and it's the entire animal kingdom right there in one. That's a lot of beasts. That's a lot of animals. We have two animals, two dogs. Okay? I'm in charge of feeding them. So I buy the food. They don't like it. I pour it in their bowl and they look and blink. Is that the best you got? So now I've, I've bought two different foods and I alternate for them. And then they catch on and they're like, ah, it's going to take more than that today. So then I've got to get some leftovers and put it out. And then, and then that's not even enough. I feed two beasts and they're not happy. What would it be like if you had to feed the whole animal kingdom? And God does it. And then it says to the young ravens that cry, even the birds, even the birds. And these are small, these are uh, dirty birds. They were listed as unclean and, um, and they're worthless. They're worth nothing. And God's feeding them. Why? Why is he feeding them? Because rain and food come from him. Hey, if they're eating, you're eating. He cares for all creation. Rain and food come from him. Jot this down. So be grateful for his steadfast love. Be grateful for his steadfast love. It's supposed to prompt gratitude. 
Verse 7, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. How much he has done for our world. Be grateful, sing gratefully with love to him. It says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, verse 7. And then it says in verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and hope in his steadfast love. So how are you doing with gratitude? How are you doing with gratitude? It's so easy because there's so much to grumble and complain about in life right now. It's so easy to have a grumbly heart. And we are challenged to be grateful and thankful for all that God has done to us. If you could sum up everything that you said this week, right? Are you, are you a so blessed person or are you a so cursed? So cursed. How are you doing with gratitude in your home, with your family, both cultivating it and expressing it? So thankful for all that God has done for us, for everything he's taken us through, for the rain, for the food. So blessed. How are you doing at gratitude in church? I'm so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful for 12 years we celebrated recently. Pastor Mark getting ready to go off to the mission field. Sarah, I'm also grateful because I came from a church out near Carroll Stream in Wheaton, and Lauren and I are heading there right after church today. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary today. And I'm like, yes, great is the Lord. I'm so thankful for these, for these milestones. Are you grateful? Are you thankful at work? Or are you grumbly at work? Sure, there's always going to be reasons for prayer, but there's really not a reason to just sink down into despair. And we're called to hope. It says here, hope, gratitude, because of his steadfast love. Well, whatever I'm going through at work, God, God is going to love me, and he's going to take care of me, right? So be grateful for his steadfast love. Is that your heart? Sometimes when I, how are you doing with hope versus despair? When I talk to people who are going through hard times, sometimes I'll say, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think the story is going to end? And then what they tell me from that point on, the ending they've written to the story in their heart, if they were an author, they would be Stephen King. I'm like, that's terrifying. None of it's happened yet. Where are you getting all of those horrible scenarios? I don't know. I just feel like it's all going to end bad. I'm guilty. I do it too. You do it too. We write terrible endings to the stories. But how about some hope? Sure, this could end badly, but I know God. And you know what? Whatever I fear, he's got the pen. And he's going to write an amazing ending to this story. That's hope. And it shouldn't just be something we're saying. It should be something we're singing. We're singing for hope. He cares for all creation. Rain and food come from him. Be grateful for his steadfast love. And then number four, he gives peace and security. Worship God because he heals the brokenhearted. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. He cares for all creation. And he gives peace and security. Look at verse 12. It says, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Same for Jerusalem, same idea. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. So it starts with these like social things, cities, nations. So in Isaiah 54, it draws from, from that chapter where it talks about Jerusalem being a city rebuilt with precious stones. And so it's a miracle that it happened, and God is credited with rebuilding Israel after it had been destroyed. And so 
Generally speaking, the Bible also teaches that the nations are in God's hands. So jot this down. He protects cities and nations. He protects cities and nations. Psalm 127 generally said that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watch over this, watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So it's, it's God's presence that gives peace and security. He protects cities and nations. And we, we skipped over a verse here that more ties into this. <clears throat> it says in verse 10, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. That means uh, an army. So the, the horses, the, the soldiers, God looks down and he's like, no big deal. You think that's keeping you safe? So some countries like to parade their armies all around. Check it out. Here's some pictures of armies and people think their country is stronger or safer because of that. Here's another picture. And they're like, we've got all of this and therefore watch out. Here's another picture. And there's just you know, look at our vehicles, look at our patriotism, here's the last picture, and, and we will blow you up if you come anywhere near us. And so, so God looks down on all that, and he's like, that's not what keeps you safe. That's not what keeps you secure. He protects cities and nations. Hey, this should humble us. God gives peace and security. And if God takes his hand off a city or a country, nothing can prevent the chaos that comes. Nothing. It should humble us. He has displayed that time and again in history with the mightiest nations. Some of them fell in a day. And he called it in advance. Where does our help come from? Our security and peace? Not from our artillery. From our God. It's from our God. He gives peace and security. Israel knew this. He protects cities and nations. Jot this down. He governs the weather. So we're kind of back to creation, but more focused on providing for the country here. He, he governs the weather. It says he makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest wheat. There's food again. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. So creation is all God's majestic doing. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? Time to get ready for winter. I'm going to show you a video that you're not going to like because this is focusing on winter weather caused by God. Look, this is what's coming. Get ready. This is what's on the way. Buy your bag of salt. Check your shovel for cracks. God brings winter. That's going to be you soon. Nothing you can do to stop it. The forecast is going to drop. You're going to get frostbite. It's okay to not like me at this point. That's the whole point. It's focusing on winter weather because it's not pleasant. Imagine being on that bus. It's highlighting winter weather here and it's blaming God. I love it. He gives snow. He scatters frost. He hurls down crystals of ice. Who can stand before his cold? Then there's great news. He sends out his word and melts them. And everyone said, Amen. Spring. 
Then he brings spring. See how the weather here is paralleling what's going on in the spiritual realm with Israel? The winter, the winter stands for the terrible things they've been through. God did that. But look where he brought us. It's spring. Things are growing again. We've got food again. We're alive again. It's, God did that. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. This is his favor. His favor is on them again. He governs the weather. And so the seasons of faith, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're in summer and you feel like life is great. It's been great for a long time. Or if you're in fall and you're like, things are changing. Or if you're in winter and you're like, all hope is lost. Or if you're in spring and you're like, we're back. God's doing stuff. Things are getting better. My prayers are getting answered. It's spring. He gives peace and security. He melts all the cold away. Creation is called the little book. Creation shows us what God is like, but God's word is the big book. So jot this down. And he gave us his word. It says he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. Jacob and Israel are synonymous there. God keeps talking to us. He kept, he kept giving them new revelation, sending them a new prophet. His word, his word is back. He's not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. He gave us his word, and that includes the book of Psalms. And so the finale here, my question for you is, we were, we were taught to live the book, right? Walk the word. We're also supposed to sing the book. So how's your heart of worship? Wherever you're at with the Lord right now, there's a song for every season. Is your heart singing? Are you trusting him? Do you believe he's good? You see, God wants to form your mind and he wants to teach you things about himself, but he also wants to deepen your affections for him. Maybe what you're going through right now is to just teach you to love him at a deeper level and, and to sing for joy. That's what Psalms is all about. Everything is bringing us back to praise. He gives us peace and security. He cares for all creation. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. He heals the brokenhearted. And so, the last word is this. Worship God. That's the last point. He will comfort you and fortify you and warm your heart and change the seasons again. He'll come through for you. He will. And when he does, sing for joy. Let's close out this series with a word of prayer and then a song. Father, what an amazing book. We're so grateful that you've put in the middle of the Bible a book of hymns, calling us to sing. We're so thankful, Lord, for your word and, and for your spirit prompting us to praise you, whatever we're going through, to worship you. And maybe some here today have never become worshipers of Christ. Maybe they've never asked Jesus to be their good shepherd who will lead them faithfully through this world and on into eternity. Maybe they're being humbled right now and they, they want to cry out for the first time and say, Jesus, be my shepherd. Lead me faithfully and tend to my wounds and my brokenness. And Lord, maybe we've been walking with you for a long time. And maybe the songs seem like they're old and our heart seems like it's a little hard. We need you to revive us again. We need you to put a new song in our heart. Use this series, Lord, as we wrap it up to remind us that whatever we're going through, whatever you're teaching us, no matter how hard, you're leading us to sing. To sing with a greater depth of understanding and affection for you. 
So fill our hearts, O Lord, with a song every morning, every evening. I pray that you would form us as worshipers through all the seasons of life. And I pray that you would be greatly glorified by the praise in this community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.